were gone two Sundays, um, and uh, we were leading a, a tour group to Israel. This, is, this was our 15th tour group to take. So we've been doing this a long time, and we just love it. Uh, you know, different things happen every year. It's unique every year, and uh, I think the greatest blessing is to Marcia and, and me to be able to uh, once again visit the, the places where things actually happened uh, and to help people discover their Bible, really. So, um, uh, it, but it's always good to be back home uh, again after a, a long trip. Somebody asked me what time it was this morning and I don't know. I, all I, <laughs> All I know is that Marcia said it's time to come. So we don't, we don't know where we are. But it, uh, we had such a good time. I've been wrestling with whether or not to, to say this. I talked to Brian earlier, and he seemed to think it's all right. I am not on the, the uh, staff of uh, uh, Israel Tour Company. All right, I'm not trying to enrich myself, but next May we're going to take another group. And if you're at all interested in finding more information about that, uh, we would love to tell you more uh, about where we go, what we do, what the arrangements are, and so on. Um, after, uh, after the service, I, I brought some uh, of my cards in. If you'd like to take one, and write us and tell us uh, that you're interested, it's, it's fine. Again, I'm not trying to sell anything, it's just we would love to share the experience uh, with you. That's why we do it, to see the Holy Land through new people's eyes every year. Well, enough of that. Please open your Bibles to First uh, Kings, First Kings. We're starting a new series today. Uh, it's... Uh, Brian picked the uh, title, or most of it, uh, and it's Prophet, Rulers, Patriarchs, and the Thief. And so we're going to look through the summer at mostly Old Testament, or I'd say exclusively Old Testament uh, characters. And in doing that, we find a remarkable uh, principles and application for our lives today. I mean, 4,000 years later, and still remarkable uh, applications for our lives today. So, Elijah. Uh, you, you got the idea. That's probably what we're going to talk about today. Elijah. Uh, what do we know? What do we not know about Elijah? Well, there's a number of things we don't know. We, we don't know where he was born uh, uh, or where he grew up. Uh, there was a word in, about where he is, was born, but we don't know where he grew up. We don't know uh, who his father or mother was. We don't know if he had siblings, if he ever married, if he had children. Uh, this kind of personal information is not shared with us. Lord willing, next week we'll look at Isaiah and we'll see it's just the opposite with him. We know a lot about his personal background. Uh, but what do we know? We know that the nation of Israel was in rapid decay. Uh, to understand this, uh, let's look at a little of the background 
of what's going on. To do that helps us understand what's going, how, how the setting applies to our interpretation of the person. Uh, we know this, that 53 years earlier, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah split from one another. Uh, a little more background here. Uh, Israel had three kings. The united Israel had three kings. It was Saul, and then David, and then David's son Solomon. After Solomon died, his son Rehoboam became the king. Rehoboam was an evil man, and he was a weak, weak leader. And so there was a division in the country. The northern part of the land, which would be uh, Samaria and uh, Galilee, uh, they followed uh, the, the, they followed Rebone, and then the southern kingdom uh, became called Judah, and they followed Jeroboam. And this was a rival. And together there grew great animosity between the south and the north. Now, while that was going on, uh, there was a man who had become the king of the north of Israel. And his name was Ahab. Uh, Ahab uh, had grown up believing in God. He had grown up in what we would call a faithful home apparently, but he married a woman named Jezebel. Jezebel was as mean as a snake. She was not a good woman, and she was a worshiper of a fertility god called Baal. We typically say, call him Baal, but more specifically, I think from the Hebrew, would be Baal or, or Baal. Uh, and the other God that was involved in her worship was Asherah, another fertility god. Now, uh, the heart of Ahab uh, moved in the direction of idolatry, and his conduct, his attitudes uh, began to just absolutely uh, fall apart. Now, Elijah, the hero of our story, Elijah was a man of great faith. He had, God used him to perform more miracles than anybody else in the Old Testament. Uh, he was a prophet that, had, that was probably unequaled, even though he did not write a book of the Bible. Uh, and you remember also that that his life ended in a spectacular way. Namely, that uh, the Lord took him to heaven in a chariot of fire and he never died. One of two people in the Old Testament who never died and went to heaven. So, uh, that's a little bit about his background. Now, I've gotta be honest with you, there's more to that story. The more to the story would include the fact that uh, Elijah was also a man of doubt. Let me take just a minute to talk about doubt. Now, here's the truth. Everybody struggles with doubts in various areas of our lives. 
Everyone does. You see, what we want is certainty. Uh, there's no such thing as certainty, but we want the illusion of being certain. We want to know exactly what's going to happen before it happens. Uh, and our struggle is that for us to have an understanding of what's going to happen in the future, that takes faith. And that faith will be stretched because after all, we're not in the future now. I believe that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Is it possible that it won't? Yes, I guess it is possible. Now, when that comes, that kind of thinking comes to faith in God. We tend to call that doubt. And Christians, when we struggle with doubt, when a thought of doubt passes through our minds, we feel guilty, we feel like failures, uh, we, we wonder if we're Christians at all, when in reality we're just doing what people do. Uh, great Bible characters who struggled with doubt. John the Baptist, he's in prison, about to lose his life. I think he's offended that Jesus hasn't got him out. He sends an emissary to Jesus and said, are you the one, the Messiah, or should I expect another one? Well, he knew, but you see, the circumstances in his life led him to struggle with doubt for that time. Thomas, the the apostle, struggled with doubt. Uh, And, you know, Peter struggled with doubt. We could just go on down this list. Because we're human beings, we will struggle with doubt from time to time. Don't be afraid of that. But also seek the answers for it. Uh, We could take a month of Sundays and, and just talking about that, but uh, I, I hope I've encouraged you a bit. Another thing that, uh, that Elijah struggled with was depression. I'll now talk more about that uh, later. Now, God called this good but imperfect man to confront idolatry in Israel. The greatest problem that there was in the Old Testament. The greatest problem for the people of God in the Old Testament was idolatry. The greatest problem in the New Testament is likewise idolatry. That's why the Apostle John, uh, in writing to his beloved church, says this as he closes his book in 1 John uh, 5.21, little children keep, I'm gonna read it, Uh, in the Greek tense, keep on and keep on and keep on, keep on protecting yourselves from idols. Uh, Keep yourselves from idols. So it's Old Testament, New Testament, and guess what? It's us today as well. But I I need to to go on. If we were to understand the setting, we'd have to understand that Israel had once again wandered away from God. They're following the gods of their leaders. They're following Baal and Asherah, the fertility gods. And you know, the land needed to be fertile 
in order for them to have food to eat. And they wanted, uh, they wanted to have children. Fertility was important to them. And uh, they dealt with that uncertainty about having children and having enough food. They dealt with that through what promised to give them both, and that is Baal and Asherah. Now, the first mention of Elijah that we find in the New Test- uh, Old Testament is 1 Kings 17. So we're going to look there. 1 Kings 17, verse numbered 1. 1 Kings 17, 1. Okay, here's what it says. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead. We don't know exactly where that town was, but we know the area. And so uh, he was born and apparently raised in the country today that we call Jordan, to the east of the Jordan River. Uh, So uh, the Tishbe from Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord The God of Israel lives before whom I stand. There shall be neither rain nor uh, dew or rain these years except by my word. This is a defining moment. It is a defining moment in Elijah's life as he's confronting the evil king. It's a defining moment in Ahab's life as he's realizing God is pronouncing judgment uh, on his evil life, and it is a defining moment in the life of the nation of Israel. And so God sent Elijah to Ahab to confront him and to announce to him that a three and a half year long drought was about to happen. In other words, the consequences had arrived. The consequences had arrived for their sin. And that would be three and a half years of drought. Sometimes we can go three or four months, uh, even in extreme conditions, without uh, raining. Can you imagine the impact of three and a half years? Uh, there was, it was dreadful. I, I mean, there was drought. Uh, the people struggled. Uh, the, the Sea of Galilee dried up, and uh, it, it was difficult for people to, to find anything to drink. There was crop failure, and then with crop failure, of course, came starvation. And so these are the things that were happening there. A dreadful time. First Kings 18 now. Let's look at 18, 1 and 2. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. So three years have passed. That's how long God had told him that the rains would cease. In the third year, the the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, go show yourselves to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. Can you imagine what it would be like for Elijah to confront the king after three and a half years of judgment? I mean, that would take courageousness. But he did. He had that. And so Elijah went to show himself 
to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Ahab's palace was in a a place called Jezreel in Samaria, uh, and he governed the entire northern part of the land. Now let's look at 1 uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Kings 1817. The story goes on. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah's answering, and he says, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, you and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather uh, all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and uh, the 400 prophets of Baal and the four, or 450 uh, prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. All right. Uh, I took a couple of pictures last week and I thought it might be helpful to you to, to see them. Uh, this is the view from the top of Mount Carmel where this is all happening. One of the things I want you to see here is that this is a very fertile valley called the Jezreel Valley or the Megiddo Valley or the Valley of Armageddon. So uh, it's a fertile place uh, and uh, it, it was crucial to the food, the future of Israel. And so Elijah picks this place as a reminder to the people that their lives would depend on how they dealt with God. And so, uh, 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 well, let's look at the second picture. On top of Mount Carmel, there is the statue commemorating uh, the life of Elijah. It was someplace up there overlooking the, the valley that these events occurred. So what are these events? Well, let me just talk you through it. Uh, First of all, he had Ahab gather all of Israel. In our Bibles, all can mean everyone or all the different kinds of people. I think probably it was the second. I don't know for sure. Uh, Ahab called for the people of Israel and they came. And so as they came, Two altars were to be built at Elijah's instruction. Number one, that the altar to God that had been torn down, probably by Solomon, uh, it needed to be repaired. The second altar uh, was an altar to Baal and to Asherah. And so Elijah has these two uh, altars built. And uh, then uh, two bulls are slaughtered, and their meat is put on this altar. Uh, But there's no fire. They could not set the fire beneath the, the sacrifice. And so Elijah challenges now the prophets of Baal and uh, Asherah, and challenges them to kind of a duel. 
And in this duel, they will both cry out to God, to their own God. The, the prophets, uh, the idols, the prophets of Baal, Asherah, and uh, others, they would call out to God to bring forth uh, their, their uh, lightning from the sky to consume the altar. And so a basic idea is these, the folks, the, the leaders of that worship, of that evil uh, 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 God, I'll, I'll call him God, small g, uh, began to dance around uh, their altar. They prayed, they cut themselves, they cut themselves and they jumped and hooped and hollered, prayed out again, all the time Elijah is saying something like, uh, well, maybe Baal has taken a potty break. <laughs> that, that, uh, I'm just reporting, that's, that's what it says. Or maybe he's asleep, maybe he's out today, something like that. Uh, he's taunting them because he wants Israel to see the ridiculousness of Baal worship. And uh, then this happens from morning until late afternoon, and of course, no fire fell from heaven. Then Elijah, it was Elijah's turn, he had a, a moat built around the, the altar. He had it filled up with water, and then he calls out to God. In calling out to God, he asked God very simply. There was no jumping around. There was no cutting himself. None of that kind of thing. Uh, he simply calls out to God to send fire from heaven, knowing that if God sent the fire, it would prove to the people of Israel that God is indeed God. The God that they wandered away from is indeed the true, living, only God. He, so he calls out to God, and God sends uh, lightning, he sends fire to not only consume the sacrifice, but to consume the altar, uh, to lap up the water around, is total destruction. And this proved to the people of Israel that indeed there is a God and his name is Yahweh. His, his, his eternal name is, uh, uh, is uh, the correct word is Yahweh. Some people call him Jehovah, same basic idea. Uh, and so he called upon them and now the people see that, that uh, Yahweh is indeed the eternal God of heaven and earth, their God, and they fall into repentance. And while that's happening, to deal with the source of the problem, uh, I, uh, Ezekiel sends for all of those false prophets to be killed and to rid the land then of those who are propagating this idolatry. Now, today, let's just talk about how this could possibly apply to us today. Something happened uh, three or 4,000 years ago. Does it mean anything now? Well, when we think of idolatry, we normally think of primitive human beings who take a piece of wood or a stone and they fashion it 
to some kind of a figurine. They believe that somehow it is then endued with power, that it becomes their God, and they pray to it. And if there's not that kind of idolatry, they'll make an idol out of the sun, the moon, or other things that God has created. And so uh, idolatry was like that at a time. But that time has passed. And now uh, we have a different generation. Idolatry changes from one generation to the other. So, of course, we don't look like the ancient pagans in their idol worship. Ours work very different from that. But we need to remember, we need to remember Exodus 20, the first commandment says this, and God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. No God but God. First commandment, the first issue, the first essential for us. We are to have no gods but God. What is then idolatry? It's substituting your devotion to the eternal almighty God for devotion to something else. It's the substitute, you see. It's something else that you picked that is worthy of your devotion. Another way to put that would be uh, idolatry is a, uh, provokes in us the willingness to disobey God to have this thing, uh, whether it's a person, a thing, or whatever it might be. I'm willing to disobey God in order to get that, to have it. If it means neglecting my family, if it means going... Uh, neglecting my church, if it means neglecting uh, my reading of the Bible and pray and personal devotion, if it means surrendering our uh, our reputations as honest people, if it, it means that, then we're willing to do it. That is what idolatry is because we think that somehow it's going to give us what we really want. Let me read to you some of the uh, uh, quotes that I have found helpful about idolatry. And understand, we can make an idol out of almost anything. Uh, C.J. Behaney, in paraphrasing uh, Charles Spurgeon, said this, The human heart is an idol factory. And that's true. I can make an idol out of almost anything, and so can you. Uh, another, by Ken Sandy, it says, an idol is something within creation that is inflated to function as God. All sorts of things are potential idols, depending only on our attitude and actions toward them. Idolatry may not involve explicit denials of God, God's existence or character, uh, 
It may well come in the form of an overattachment. Please watch this carefully. Overattachment to something that is itself perfectly good, like your job, like your relationship with someone, like your family. Uh, An idol can be a physical object, a property, a person, an activity, a role, an institution, a hope, an image, your image, in other words, an uh, idea, a pleasure, a hero, anything that can substitute for God. Uh, Two more. Augustine wrote this. Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used and using anything that ought to be worshiped. And finally, John Calvin. The evil in our desires typically does not lie in what we want, but that we want too much. In other words... Are you ready? Tighten your seatbelt. Here we go. I'm going to run for the hills after I say amen. Okay. Um, What are the temptations for idolatry that you're facing? By the way, I can say that I'm facing too. Uh, We make idols out of money. Somehow believing that if we get more of it, we'll be more secure will be more significant. We can make idols out of politics. The hope of the nation is Jesus. We can make idols out of our families and in fact often do. We can make idols out of our job We can make idols out of uh, sexual relationships. Every church has its own unique idols, I think. And I think that I can honestly say, you have your idols, and I have those that I have struggled with, too. Uh, When it comes to idolatry, the danger is not in the item. It's not in the thing, the danger is in us. What we want enough to disobey God to have. Now let's just apply this part of it. First of all, one of the things that we see, kind of an offshoot here, so let me bring it up first, uh, is the power of prayer. Now I think I need to be a little more specific. Uh, Prayer has no power in it. God has the power. But prayer is an avenue for the expressing of our faith. And as that, it's a tool. And and, uh, it it has great power with God. Uh, God said, you have not because you ask not. 
Well, Elijah asked in James chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently, and it did not rain. For three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. There's a word here that I think is helpful. He prayed fervently, or excuse me, uh, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, don't deify him. Don't think that he's somehow different than you are. He was not different than you are. He's, he's a, he was a man. He was a man with failures and successes but just a man. He was a man, however, that chose to trust what God said, believing that what God said is true. Uh, Another thing that I, I believe we see here is that you and I are both being tempted with idols today. We are falling captive to idols too often today. Uh, God does not accept idol worship. God will work to get your attention if you have slipped away from your devotion to him and to a devotion to an idol. Now, I need to go on. Uh, One more thing about Elijah. I'd like to tell you the story of him going to heaven in a chariot of fire. I'd love to tell you the story about him and Elisha. But uh, for today, what else do we know about him as a man? Sometimes, after the greatest victories in our lives come, they're followed by the harshest of defeats. Uh, Often, when someone is being ordained to the ministry, whether it's as a deacon or as an elder, I will say to them, you will see a temptation to fear, to doubt, to give up in the coming weeks. You will see this. You will experience it. Because after great victories can come greatest defeats. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 says, Abraham told Jezebel, now the organ plays with a minor key, dun, 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 dun. Uh, Ahab told Jezebel, all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods, small g, meaning Baal and Asherah, so may the gods do to me and worse also, if you do not Uh, If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. 
In other words, you killed my prophets. Now I'm coming after you. So what did he do? He, did he stand strong in the faith and the victories that he had? Well, verse 3. Then he was afraid, and he rose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba. By the way, this is as far south in Israel as you can go in biblical times. The, 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 uh, the boundaries were from Dan to Beersheba. So what he has done then is that he's running for his life, and he runs out into the desert and hopes to get away from Jezebel, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. What is a broom tree? Uh, we don't have them here, uh, but they're, they're fairly... Uh, frequently seen in the Middle East. It's a little bit like a mesquite and uh, uh, creosote together, I guess. And in Scripture, we have the idea that they represent renewal, restoration. Uh, just th They go through this transformation of uh, from being sticks, essentially, in the the winter to beautiful flowers. It's, it's a, a renewal, and he runs to such a place. And so, he sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, to take, my, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Well, he was right there. He's not better than his father's, nor are we. We have the same fallen nature. And he laid down and wept and slept, excuse me, under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord uh, came again. A second time, and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. What, what in the world did we just see here? We saw one of the greatest heroes of our faith fall into a deep, ugly depression. If you struggle with depression understand that some of the greats of our faith have to. It is not a weakness. Getting help and treatment is not a weakness. God treated him. God treated him with sleep. God treated him with food and water. 
And God then treated him with the, the, the calling. All right, now it's time to get up and it's time to go. Uh, so understand that, that if you struggle with depression, as I have from time to time, uh, if you're struggling with depression, don't be ashamed of it any more than you would having diabetes. If you're struggling with depression, understand that God will minister to your needs, but you also need other kinds of help. And it's not bad for a Christian to seek that. All right, what can we learn from this? Well, of course, if, you're, if you struggle with depression, you're not alone. Please understand that. Uh, so why did this happen to Elijah? This great event of the defeat of the Baals and Asherah. This great event happens, and immediately he is depressed and he's running for his life. Why? I think there's several things. I think he laid down his guard. But more than that, I think he was exhausted. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. And that exhaustion led to bad thinking on his part. And he was being attacked at his vulnerability in that somehow he had a special fear of this evil woman. What, what does God expect from you? He expects you to have no God but God. And that takes his intervention in your life. You will certainly slip into it, into idolatry. If God is not, if you're not depending on God to keep you faithful, pray for that. Repent. Repent of Repent of falling away. Repent of the idols that you have developed in your own life. Understand that they will always fail. And they will always bring destruction to your life. The very thing that you have started worshiping will be an instrument of your downfall. So ask God to reveal to you the idols that you have created. Don't argue with him when he reveals. And then repent. And finally, if you're struggling, as I said, with, with depression, it is not time for you to give up. The great thing that we have today is that we have the opportunity to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And in doing so, Christ comes into our lives and the Holy Spirit resides in us. And he gives us the power to resist those things that will bring destruction to you. 
And if you want to know more about what that means, if you want to know more about joining the church, which is a great protection from idolatry, if we keep one another accountable. Or if there's, you need prayer, uh, you can fill out one of those uh, uh, application forms, uh, one of the information forms, and put it at the desk. Uh, Marcia and I will be at here in the front if you want to talk, if you want to pray. Uh, we'd be more than happy to do that. I'm sure that the elders feel the same way. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, it's in the name of Jesus we come to you really sobered a bit by the life of this incredible man. And Father, we pray that we would learn from his experience. Forgive us for our idolatry. We would substitute instead devotion to the living God. In Jesus' name we pray.